0: Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosin. Welcome to episode 84. And a reminder that if you are using a podcast app such as Overcast or Downcast or Casts or any of those cool apps that allow you to navigate by podcast chapters, then this podcast is a breeze for you to zip around. You can skip forward and back between sections of the podcast by using chapter navigation. It's awesome. Awesome, I tell you, with a capital O. (laughs) You know what is also awesome is that the major feature on this episode, episode 84, is a look at the Windows 10, April 2018 update. It's not been pushed to you yet, but it is available. In the show notes, I'll provide a link for you to get the update. We'll take a comprehensive look at some of the new features, and there are one or two demonstrations as well, which may whet your appetite if you're wondering, why do I want this new version of Windows 10? Maybe we can help you answer that question. There are listener comments as well. And if anything takes your fancy when you listen to the podcast and you would like to comment on it, we certainly enjoy getting your feedback. The way to send that through, you can attach an audio file. Maybe you have a voice memos app or you want to record something on your PC. You can attach that and email it to me at theblindsideatmosin.org. That's theblindsideatmosin.org. You can also just write an email down. And I will read it from my trusty braille display. You can also call the listener line if you like. 719-270-5114 is that phone number that is in the United States. 719-270-5114. As I record this, it is the fifth anniversary of the founding of Mosin Consulting. And it's natural to feel a little bit wistful and thankful and also somewhat triumphant. I remember getting a comment on the Mosin Consulting blog just over five years ago from somebody who said, dude, essentially, dude, they said, you are an idiot. You're a fruit loop. Starting up your own business and taking all these risks and things. But, you know, sometimes you've got to live the dream. And I want to thank you if you've ever purchased anything from Mosin Consulting, whether it be an ebook or we've designed a website for you or we've given you some Training that's helped you master your technology and just made you feel more in control of the technology that you have and its capabilities. Whether we've helped you in some other way, well, I thank you. It's been an amazing five years, and sometimes you just have to go with your heart and you have to go with your dreams, and at least you won't die wondering, What if, right? The hours are long, the work is hard. But the work is also varied and rewarding, and I love the challenges, and it's been an absolute blast. So thank you to everybody who's made these last five years possible. Our place, our issues, The Blind Side with Jonathan Moser. Microsoft has unveiled the Windows 10 April 2018 update, and it did it at the latest possible time that it could have done it without them changing the name, because it began its rollout on the 30th of April. I, for one, welcome the new nomenclature. Apparently they were thinking till almost the very last of calling it the Spring Creators Update, which, as somebody who lives in the Southern Hemisphere, makes no sense and also makes me feel pretty undervalued. So it's good to know that there is a more inclusive name for this release of Windows. Everybody understands what the April 2018 update means. Some people might argue that it's a bit unimaginative to use a title like this, but at least it's not hemisphere-centric and it's very unambiguous. Microsoft is releasing a new version of Windows every six months or so. And that means that pretty regularly you are going to get some fairly meaty updates to Windows, updates that really have a lot of new features in them. And the good news is that they are thoroughly tested. That's good news in two respects. It's good news because by the time Windows reaches you, it's been well tested by end users like us. Anyone is free to opt into the Windows 10 Insider program. All you have to do is go into settings and search in the edit box there for Insider and press enter and it'll come right up and you can join the Insider testing if you want. So long gone are the days where beta testing Windows was some sort of privilege that was extended only to the technology elite. Anybody who's brave enough to do this can do it. You can choose how cutting edge you want to be about your testing. You can go on the fast ring. And as the Eagles said way back in Hotel California, life in the fast ring sure to make you lose your mind. Or maybe that wasn't quite what they said. <laughs> But uh, you've got to be a bit brave to be on the fast ring because Microsoft rolls out builds pretty quickly to the fast ring and it may be a little bit rough and wild but you do get to test the latest code and to provide meaningful feedback. You can go on the slow ring which because it's beta software still incurs some risks but not as many risks as the fast ring. And so there are brave people who do this. Maybe they have a secondary machine and they don't mind putting Windows on that and when they have an opportunity, testing it. Or perhaps they really don't mind being on the cutting edge and they put it on their primary machine. But the good news is that by the time it gets to you, there has been a lot of testing of Windows that has taken place. And indeed, that's why this particular update is a little bit later than Microsoft originally anticipated. The word was that the original release date for Windows 10 April 2018 update was the 10th of April. And then when what was thought to be the final build, the RTM build, the release-to-manufacture build, was sent out, it turned out that there were some issues there that were causing the B-S-O-D. That's the acronym. And you know what it stands for? It stands for Blue Screen of Death. That needs some reverb, don't you think? It stands for Blue Blue Screen Screen of Death. Death. Yeah, and nobody wants the Blue Screen of Death. So I think it's to Microsoft's great credit that they... Took a delay. They decided to go back and rather than patch an operating system that had a known issue with the blue screen of death, they would wait, they would get it right, they would fix this bug, and then they would release the final version of the Windows 10 April 2018 update, which they did on the 30th of April. Now, at the moment, the way to get this update is to go and download it, and that's a pretty easy process the pushing process where Microsoft will start sending out the Windows 10 updates to you without your intervention will begin on around about the 8th of May. So right now, if you want this update, you go to the Microsoft Windows software download page and you download a little tool called the Windows 10 Upgrade Advisor. And when you run that, it will check your system to make sure that there are no known hardware or software issues that might prevent you from having a good Windows experience when you do the update. My perception is that if you're running the what was called the full creators update, you're probably going to be okay, and you'll probably pass the test to run this new update. But there will be a checking process, a verification process, and then you'll get the big message when you run this tool whether you've passed or not passed and whether you can proceed to download the update. Now there is some disk space required to install the update, and so before you go ahead and do this, it's a good idea to free up some space. The best way to do that is to run the Windows 10 Disk Cleanup Utility. If you go and press the Start Menu key, the Windows Logo key, and type the word disk, then you'll find a tool called Disk Cleanup Utility. If you press enter on that, you'll be able to check a whole bunch of boxes to do things like empty your recycle bin. You may still have old versions of Windows lying around. If you choose to have a look at system files as well, you may find them there. Check the boxes that look okay. Empty the recycle bin, clean up temporary files. You could potentially free up gigs and gigs of space. And it's a good thing to do that before you go ahead and try and do this update. Now, what I'm going to do is provide a link in the show notes for this podcast directly to the page from which you can download this little utility that will start the Windows 10 update process for you if you don't want to wait until Microsoft pushes the update to you. If you go this route, the one thing that you will notice is that a lot more takes place in the background. So when I ran this process, I found that I was able to get on with my work for a much longer period than I was when I did the last update, the Fall Creators update. And when the system finally did reboot, that twilight zone period where you wait until Windows installs was much shorter because so much had gone on in the background. Now, there's nothing absolutely compelling you to do this right now. In due time, Microsoft is going to push this update to you microsoft handles things a little bit differently from the way that say apple handles things where you know with apple that there is a certain day on which mac os and ios will be available and you will go to the respective app store for that software update and you grab it and what you sometimes find is that there's a bit of a bottleneck because everybody tries to get it at once Microsoft seems to have a bit of a hierarchy, and this may be changing a little bit. But what has happened with some of the past updates is that they tend to favor newer machines first, and they will also be aware of any driver incompatibility. Maybe you're using an old piece of hardware that has a software driver that hasn't been updated or some other factor like that. And if Windows is aware of this, then they will not push the update to you until they're confident that it's going to give you a good experience. When you eventually do get notified about the update, you're now going to get plenty of notice about it. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to schedule the installation of that update at a time convenient to you. So all being well, you're not going to have an experience like you may have had in the past with some updates of Windows where you have been forced to do the update at an inopportune time. If you are running a consumer version of Windows, then it's pretty much inevitable that at some point you will get this update. And Microsoft has become pretty adept at this. It's a very high number of PCs that are now running the full creators update, whereas the previous version was not as high a count in terms of the percentage of devices that had it. So they really are getting their act together in this regard. And my hunch is that that will only improve and that rolled out maybe even faster this time than it was with the previous update but you can go ahead you can go into settings and update and security and go into the advanced settings there and choose to postpone updates for some period but you will get them eventually we're going to be talking about the settings a lot in this episode of the podcast remember that the shortcut to get to those settings is the windows key with i Not particularly mnemonic, but very important. Windows key with I gets you into the Windows settings. Having talked about how you get the update, let's talk about why you might want to, why you might be excited about this update being on your computer. The big highlight feature, I think, is that it includes a new timeline feature... And this lets you recall previous apps that you were working on across machines or even the ability to open your browsing history from Microsoft Edge for iOS and Android, if you're using that. Now, I hadn't gotten around to installing Microsoft Edge on my iPhone until today, but I decided that I would do this now that the timeline feature is here. So you go to your app store, you search for Microsoft Edge. It's obviously the standard way of getting any iOS app. And if you're an Android user, you would go to the Google Play Store and do a similar thing. The key to the timeline feature working to the max is, of course, to be signed in on all the devices that you are going to use this with using your Microsoft ID. And so when you get Microsoft Edge, you will be asked to log in with your Microsoft ID, normally an email address, and then your Microsoft ID password. You'll then be asked if you want to sync your browsing history across devices. You want to answer yes to this. And by default, that is the option that is checked also on your PC. So let's say that you have a Windows tablet and a standard desktop somewhere and your smartphone all logged in to your Microsoft account. What it means is that that history, the things that you've done is preserved across all of your devices. And it means that you can start something on one device and continue on another. It is similar, I think, to the handoff feature that Apple pioneered with macOS and iOS some time ago. Just like with handoff, there are some caveats to be aware of. One of the things that I have noticed in my short use of this feature is that it is quite Microsoft centric. So when you go back and you browse, and we'll show you how to browse this in a minute, you go back and you browse what you've been doing today. If you've been doing those things in Microsoft applications, such as Edge and anything relating to Microsoft Office, then it's beautiful. It's going to know what you've done, and you can almost go back in time and set things back to the way that they were at that given time. But if you're using non-Microsoft applications, so you were using Adobe Reader, to take a look at your PDF file and not Microsoft Edge, and you are using Google Chrome to browse the web and not Microsoft Edge, it all doesn't work quite so seamlessly. So you've really got to be pretty invested in the Microsoft ecosphere for this to fully work. Let me demonstrate one way of using the timeline feature, and I give that caveat because often in Windows there are multiple ways of doing the same thing. And before I get started with this, I do get asked if I don't say what text-to-speech engine I'm using. So let me say that I am using JAWS 2018, the latest version, and I'm using the Nathan text-to-speech engine from Nuance, the iVocalizer voice. It's one of the many that you can get free with JAWS. I'm going to press Windows tab. List box, running applications list box, studio recorder document two, one of two. And I only have two applications open at the moment. Windows tab gets me to my taskbar, by the way. So if I right arrow. Inbox primary mail outlook. And I've got my Microsoft Outlook application open just to give me something else to show you. Normally I would close that down when I'm recording. So this looks pretty normal. You may have become used over time to pressing Windows with tab to get to the taskbar. What's new is if we down arrow at this point. Earlier today. Word. Secret sauce. Now we're in the timeline and you heard that I was working earlier today with Word and a particular document that I'm working on. If I write arrow. List box.
1: Earlier today. Word. Word. 162. Word. 20. Mosin.org. So you
0: can see now we're on to the Mosin.org website, which I visited in Microsoft Edge. It is my homepage. So we're going through and looking at some of the primary tasks that I have completed today. I'll left arrow now. Word, Word,
1: Word, Word. Earlier today. See all seven activities button. Earlier today. I press the space bar to activate that button. And now I've got an even more detailed timeline. 1, 0 PM, Word, 12, 0 PM, bbc.com, 8, 0
0: AM, Word, Word. So I'm using my arrow keys to navigate my timeline. Not only can I see what applications I was working in at a given time, but I can also see the time that I was working in those applications. I can press the tab key, see only top activities button, and tab again, search button. Press the space bar on that, search. Search activities edit. And this is the search activities edit box, and this allows me to type in the activity that I'm searching for. By searching in this edit box, you can find a particular document you were working on or a web page that you had visited, assuming that you're using Microsoft Edge. And it doesn't matter what device you did that on, as long as it was signed into your Microsoft account, and as long as you were using a compatible app, it doesn't matter whether you were using a desktop, a tablet, or a phone, you will be able to find it. I'm going to press the escape key to exit this search view. List box 3 0 PM. And now I'm back on my timeline. I'm going to press escape again. Studio rec- and now I'm back in the application that I'm recording with, which is Studio Recorder, since this is a simple single track recording that I'm doing. I have my iPhone nearby as well, and I'm going to ask Siri to open Microsoft Edge. <phone rings> open Microsoft Edge. Hub button. Favorites, reading list and history. This is a very accessible application. It's hard for browsers not to be accessible. They'd have to make a big effort because, of course, it's got Apple's uh, toolkit here for the browsing engine. But in addition to that, Microsoft has ensured that all the buttons are labeled. And as you hear, there are good voiceover hints on these buttons as well, which is always very much appreciated. I'm going to flick to the right. Search or enter web address. I'll double tap. Search field is editing.
1: Search or enter web address. Insertion point at start. And invoke Braille screen input. Braille screen input orientation locked, landscape. Home button to the right.
0: Tabletop mode contracted. And type in the URL for the Mozin Consulting web page. Double 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 full, o full, G. And do a
1: two finger flick right. Portrait. Http slash slash www. Heading. Search field. Suggestions available. Mozen cons Here it is. The page is blindness information slash welcome.
0: Welcome to photo. And I cut off the message there, but it was telling me that the page was loaded. So you're getting a lot of good voiceover related information here. I'm going to go to the bottom of the screen now. Settings and more button. I'll flick left. Switch tabs button. Continue on PC button. Because I have a PC and an iPhone signed into the same Microsoft account, I can continue on PC. I'll double tap and show you what happens.
2: Choose a PC to open this now.
0: Progress bar. Device Silverhammer, row one of one. Indifference to the Beatles, that is the name of my laptop that I'm recording this with, Silverhammer. It is signed in to the same Microsoft account. So I'm going to double tap.
1: Sending to Silverhammer. Continue Microsoft on PC. Edge.
0: Microsoft Edge. And now Microsoft Edge is consulting blindness, information for blindness, consulting blindness information for
1: blindness opportunity. Mosen consulting blindness information for blindness opportunity. Oh, my cup runneth over with talking computers, but now Jaws is talking. Mosen consulting blindness information for blindness opportunity. The page has come up. Link skip to content. Link skip to co- entering main. Heading level one. Well, and I can navigate just as
0: I ordinarily would with Jaws. So very much a handoff kind of experience there. Microsoft is also adding a new dictation feature. This is uh, pretty epic, actually, and it has been available in Office 365 for a while now, but it's been extended right across the operating system. And so when you install this new update, if you want to dictate, you can press the Windows key with H anywhere that there's an edit field, essentially, and you will be able to dictate. I have run an insider build on another machine briefly, and it seems to me pretty good in terms of the uh, accuracy of the recognition. But there is a caveat, and that is that at the moment, the dictation feature only supports U.S. English. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have an accent like mine or an accent other than an American one, you won't be able to use this feature. But it does mean that you will need to be mindful of the fact that Americans call a full stop a period, And if you say full stop in this dictation, it is not going to know what you mean, and it's going to try and decipher what you said. So you've got to make sure you say period if you want to use the dictation feature. The older feature called speech recognition is still available in Windows, and that supports a much wider variety of languages. And it does get a bit confusing when you have these multiple features that do broadly the same thing. But that's how it is in Windows for now. Hopefully, the very straightforward dictation feature will be something that will be supported across more languages. And bear in mind that we do see this sometimes with Windows, where because we know and Microsoft knows that a new version of Windows is six months away, sometimes you see a feature rolling out and you think, man, they could have done more and they may well be doing more as we speak. And with these versions of Windows rolling out so quickly, you don't have too long to wait. If you get a lot of notifications on your Windows device, then one thing you will really welcome is this do not disturb mode on steroids. And this is called Focus Assist. It's a great name for it. At the risk of sounding a bit preachy and going a bit off topic here, the human brain is not designed to multitask. And so what happens is if you're working away on something and you're in the groove, you're in the zone, you're getting something done, and then you get a notification, even the fact that you got the notification, the sound of it, the feel of it vibrating sometimes, if you have a vibrating device, it's enough, even if you are really disciplined, and it's quite hard to be disciplined, but if you're really disciplined and you don't take the bait and stop and check your notification, the very fact you got one can often be enough to just cause you to do a double take and get you out of the zone, get you out of that that focused mode. And so Microsoft has released this expanded, somewhat rebranded, quiet hours feature, and they're calling it Focus Assist. As somebody who gets a lot done and uh, has, has worked a lot on productivity, I can tell you that the best way to get a lot of things done in your workday is to do them one at a time with absolute mindfulness. So when you've got something important that needs to be done, turn off the notifications and the bleeps and the distractions. Just shut down your email client if you're writing or, in my case, recording, and just do it. And then when you're ready, by all means, if you've been working really hard for 50 minutes, take 10 minutes off and check your notifications and your social media and things. You will get a lot done that way. And it's great to see that Microsoft is acknowledging this with this very cool focus assist mode in Windows. If there are certain people that you have to hear from, and that could be if you're working for someone else, it could be your boss, it could be a key client, and of course it could be your significant other and family members, then you can cause certain individuals to override the focus assist mode. And of course you can tell certain applications to override it as well. Let's briefly show you how you get there and then you can have a play with this, that magic keyboard command again, Windows with I. Settings. Search box. Find a setting edit. And you're in a search box now. And this is kind of a cool thing that Microsoft has adopted all over the place. So you can press Windows I to get into this edit box here and just type what you want to search for. And normally you do get good results. And it's kind of similar to the Alt-Q feature. If you are an Office 365 subscriber, and you haven't used Alt-Q yet, then go to an Office 365 application and press it at once. It is the tell me what you want to do feature. And that brings up an edit box similar to this, where you can type in a task that you want to perform, and normally you will get a match. I find that the Alt-Q is a little bit finicky sometimes about the exact search term you have to type in. This one here, the Windows iSearch box, seems a bit more forgiving but I'm going to press the tab key to get out of the search box and into the list of settings main categories. List box. System. One of 13. I'll press enter on system.
1: Search box. Find a setting edit. Once again, we're back in the search box, but I'll press the tab key. System list box. Selected. Display. One of 13. I'm going to down
0: arrow now. Sound. Notifications and actions. Focus assist. And here's focus assist, all in its own category. I'll press enter. Focus assist. And now press
1: tab. Choose which notification you'd like to see and hear so you can stay focused. The rest will go straight to Action Center where you can see them anytime. Off radio button checked. Right now focus assist is off, but there are other options. Priority only radio button not checked. Customize your priority list link. So if we choose priority only, then we have to go in and specify which applications have that priority status. Alarms only radio button not checked.
0: Automatic rules. During these times button. And you can set up automatic rules. So at certain times, Focus Assist will automatically come on for you. Also, by default, if you're running things like a PowerPoint presentation, somewhere where it could be a bit embarrassing, right? If you've got a lovey-dovey message from your significant other coming through when you've got the PowerPoint presentation running on the big screen, then it will be disabled by default. So that's Focus Assist. You can have a play in here and explore the features. It all seems very accessible. One thing you will have noticed over progressive updates to Windows 10 is that things are moving from the control panel to the new settings app. Now, there are no new top-level categories this time around in the update, but the list of settings available for management when you dig into those categories is greatly expanded, and that reflects the relentless migration away from the old-style control panel. You'll find a whole bunch of options for Managing disk space. Never fun when you run out of disk space, isn't it? And so to manage those, you can go into the system category at the top level and then you go into storage for managing all the storage and there's a whole bunch of options there. In this day and age, there's a lot of emphasis on privacy. And now everything in the privacy category is arranged more logically. It should be easier for you to find what you want and ensure that you're only giving Windows the information you think that it needs. And you may remember, if you have been following technology news for a while, the Windows 10 got off to a bit of a rocky start with some privacy advocates being concerned about the extent of the data that Microsoft was collecting, and the degree of or lack of transparency with which they were telling users about what they were collecting. Now, there is a new diagnostic data viewer tool, which is new in this release of Windows, and it shows you a lot of stuff for anybody who is concerned about exactly, and I mean exactly, what data is being sent to telemetry servers from their copy of Windows, this utility offers full transparency. There's a lot of stuff here, and there is a filter, a filter feature where you can sort through the mountains of mostly trivial and mostly anonymized data that are available. Privacy is obviously a big focus for many companies at the moment, and so too is security. It's unfortunate, isn't it, that this technology just offers so much potential for us And yet it also presents so many risks. It's all very unfortunate. Windows Defender Application Guard is one of the most important security features in Windows 10. Using Hyper-V virtualization, it offers a way to access the web in a secure, isolated session that can't install ransomware or otherwise compromise the system. In early releases, though, that feature required you to have Windows 10 Enterprise Edition But there's good news, beginning with this update, the April 2018 update, it is available on Windows 10 Pro as well, and it can be enabled by checking a box in the Windows Features list. After enabling the option, you'll then find a new Application Guard window option in Microsoft Edge on the Settings and More menu. You press Alt-X, by the way. Uh, A lot of users I talk to in microsoft edge don't know about this handy alt x command if you've not tried it go into microsoft edge and press alt x at once (laughs) you'll find that a handy little menu pops up you know people get a bit discombobulated about the fact that when they tap the alt key you don't get the traditional menu bar like a lot of people like and expect press alt x when you're in microsoft edge and then you will find this new option for more secure browsing using microsoft edge As part of this grand design to transfer everything over to settings, sound and display are now fully integrated with settings. And I know that many blind people rely on being able to easily tweak their sound settings. So let me first uh, mitigate any panic by saying that nothing has changed in the sense that you can still go to the system tray and you can find your Windows sound utility there and do all the things that you have always done from there. I don't know whether that's a transitional thing, whether eventually we'll be transitioning away, but right now you can do that. Going into settings, though, has one particularly cool advantage that I want to show you. If you are involved in audio production of any kind, if you're sitting in front of a mixer like I am, you will be bouncing off the walls over this. And even if you are not involved in audio production, but you try to juggle a whole bunch of sound devices... Before I show you this, I want to open some applications. So we'll open Google Chrome. Search box. E- Google Chrome. Untitle that.
1: And I think Mosan Consulting yep. Blindness Information for Blindness Opportunity. Two frames, five regions, eight headings and seventy-two link. Mosen. There it is. I'm also going to open Firefox. Search box edit. Mozilla Firefox. Mozilla Firefox. About blank. About blank. Mozon Consulting,
0: Black Mozon. Visit and Firefox is open there. Now I'm going to open another application, and I think I'll open Winamp. Search box edit. Winamp.
1: Winamp 5.666 build 3516. Yes, after all these years,
0: I still use Winamp because it meets all my needs, and I think it's a fantastic app. So now we've got a bunch of things open, and they all make sound in different ways. If I press the play key in Winamp. Now, I am playing Mushroom FM, but you are not hearing that because it's on a channel in the mixer that is currently turned down. I can wind it up. A
1: and that's Mushroom FM. I'm going to Alt-Tab. Mosen Consulting Blindness Information for Blindness Opportunity Google Chrome. Mose- and I'm going to visit YouTube. Address in spoutube.com. Yeah, there we go. Blank. Edit. I'm going to pick a video virtual clip. Recommended heading level heading level three link the full Jim Comey interview on Fox News with Brett Bayer 4 slash twenty six slash eighteen by Trump fan network four days ago twenty six minutes twenty zero six nine views. Well, I guess that's as good as anything to try this with. So I'm going to press enter. Seventy YouTube main region complimentary region YouTube video player
0: at the moment that I think is playing on my default sound card. For today. <laughs> I you have a what a combination so we have youtube and mushroom fm playing on my default sound card and now i'm going to go to another browser studio Recorder one david settings
1: mozin consulting blindness information for blindness opportunity mozilla firefox i'm in firefox i'm also going to go to youtube there navigation toolbar toolbar why Sir. and press enter mozin consult youtube mozilla firefox youtube
0: and see and what re- else we've got here.
1: Trending heading. Heading level three link. The ending of Avengers Infinity War explained by Looper three days ago. Six minutes. 43 seconds. Age. Well, that'll do.
0: Now, everything, everything is coming through my default ve- sound card. So if I wind it up. Jeez.
3: They weren't it's certain like that. of that
0: result, but they said long loss on the current yeah, course and in speech. Tremendous. <laughs> so let's go into settings now with Windows
1: I. Settings. Search box. Find a setting edit. And I'll press tab. List box. System. 1 of 13. Once again we'll press enter on system. Search box. Find a setting edit. Press tab. System list box. And down arrow. Sound. And there's sound. If I press enter it'll look pretty familiar. Sound. Choose your output device. Some apps are using custom output settings. You can personalize these in app volume and device preferences below. Volume 100. Choose your output device combo box. Toshiba Doc USB audio device. So just like the standard Windows sound utility, we can choose our output device. Device properties link. And go to the properties. Slider to adjust the output. Adjust the volume. Troubleshoot button. Input. Choose your input device combo box. Input 3 slash 4 complete audio 6 WDM
0: audio. Currently, my default output device is the Toshiba Dock. I'm using my Toshiba laptop with a built-in LTE. And I'm docking it at the moment with a docking station. And that's the default sound device because the docking station has its own sound device audio interface in it i'll press the tab key device properties
1: link troubleshoot button other sound options app volume and device preferences link and the other sound options is where it gets really interesting so i'll press enter app volume and device preferences home button and press tab slider to adjust the output volume left right slider 100 output combo box Toshiba.usb usb audio device input combo box Input 3 slash 4. Input list box. System sounds. One of six.
0: We've got six applications open at the moment, and I haven't unfortunately found a way to use the keyboard to get focus to this list, which I would really like, and I hope that might come in a future version of Windows. From here, you can down arrow and choose the app whose settings you want to change. Mozilla Firefox. 70,
1: the full Jim Comey interview on Fox News with Brett Baier 4 slash 26 slash 18 YouTube Google Chrome. Studio Recorder Document 1. Application file for JAWS 1. Paul McCartney Live and Let Die Mushroom
0: FM. So we have a lot of sound-related things going on here, all currently going through the default sound card, with the exception of Studio Recorder, and I'm not playing with that right now. Appli- studio re- 70,
1: the full Jim Comey interview on Fox News with Brett Baier 4 26. Let's change this one. And what I want to do is
0: change this one from the default sound card to the sound device that is currently wound up on my mixer from which you're hearing the JAWS speech. And that means that if I'm successful, then you will end up hearing the
1: Fox News interview, a little bit of it. So I'll press tab. 70, the full Jim Comey interview on Fox News with Brett Bayer 4 slash 26 slash 18 YouTube, Google Chrome. Slider to adjust the output volume, left, right
0: slider, 100%. So the volume's at 100. As you've been able to do for some time in Windows, you can separately adjust the volume of each application output combo box default here is the cool thing you can now change the output that in this case google chrome is sent to now you can use alt down arrow to bring up the list and then press enter on the one you want you can just down arrow but what will happen then and you need to be aware of this because it could have disastrous consequences if you don't know about this if you down arrow the setting will take effect immediately but I'm just going to use first letter navigation and press the letter A. Okay. I'm not allowed
3: to comment and on look the way at that. In which the grand jury was used. I can that is the mistake.
0: sound card that we have wound up in the mixer. And now Google Chrome, all the sound that Google Chrome makes has now been changed without actually affecting the default device. This is significant because Google Chrome does not have a way to specify the output that you want to use. At least maybe it does with a lot of hacking because you can do cool things like that with Chrome but I don't think it's terribly easy if you can do it. I'm going to press the Home key.
4: So someone's not the truth Reset is to the Microsoft it the recommended China defaults. Are you
0: okay, so now focus has moved away do actually
3: input the the box.
0: I never went system to System sounds. Output think combo box. you My
1: problem was slider to she had adjust the system sound input combo box. wouldn't and input that she 3/4 my recommendation. Output output recommendation. combo recommendation. And so at that point audio to got the output volume right slider. A lot of people are upset about how it comes out how you take control It system sounds. Slider to adjust the output volume left right slider 100 system sound. for
5: recommending your Firefox. On. Studio, application to
1: Joss, to apps, Mod, studio recorder application file for John. One. Turn the carding lock. Modzilla system. Mod studio recorder. Application one. Seventy the full jinx. Seventy
0: the full jinx. Tony tough interview on Fox News with Brett Favre. Slash twenty six slash eighteen. 18 slider to adjust the output combo. Default. And now I've set it back to default. I do find the focus moves about here in ways I haven't really fully been able to fathom or find terribly intuitive. But the bottom line here is that you can now set the output and input device for any application on your system and any sound device on your system. This is a really big deal and it's going to make my life a lot simpler. For example, if I want to use some sort of browser-related plugin, in the past, if I wanted to do that, I would have had to change my Windows default sound device temporarily. Now I can just open the browser that I want to use. I can set the browser output and input devices for that particular session and then go ahead and use the plugin. When I old F4 out of the browser application and run it again, it'll be back to defaults. Another thing that I think many users will appreciate is that there is now a place to go in settings where you can look at the apps that are starting up when Windows starts. And so this is in the startup tab under settings and that will allow you to turn on and off apps that are automatically launching when windows does if you have become accustomed to using good old task manager you can continue doing that but task manager is a bit geeky right and so hopefully this will make the whole startup process a bit more accessible to everyone who's not going to fool around with task manager so if you want to have a look at this you go to settings and then apps and, start up, and you will find those, those same options for inspecting and enabling and disabling processes that start automatically. And of course, the reason why you would do that is because some of these apps that start automatically can cause your system to take a performance hit for really no benefit. I mean, if you've got something that's running in the background that you don't use, that you don't care about, there are lots of little automatic update checkers and things that you really don't want then you can go ahead and, um, and, and turn them off. Just be a little bit careful. Sometimes it's a good idea if you're not a, an expert user or, or you don't know what this thing does to do a bit of a Google search or since we're talking a lot of Microsoft today, a Bing search and find out what the app does. So if, if, you're, if you're not sure, just be a little bit careful about disabling something. Another thing that's new is that you can set upload and download limits for feature updates. This is a very welcome addition. Cumulative updates and large feature updates are huge, huge. And when these updates are downloaded in bandwidth-challenged environments or using pay-as-you-go connections, the impact can be really significant and dreadful. So as of this release of Windows the April 2018 update, you've got some control over this. And to exercise that control, you go to settings. So the Windows I key once again, and then you go to update and security and then Windows update. And then you've got to go to advanced options. You've got to go a few layers to find this thing. And then you choose delivery optimization and then advanced options. Woo! So you've got to go a long way to find this thing. But when you get there, you will find that you have some control over the maximum amount of bandwidth that you are willing to consume for these updates. If you've used AirDrop before on your iThing, you will be pleased to know that something similar is coming to Windows with this version. Now you can share files, web pages, contacts and other supported data types on a PC to PC basis using either Bluetooth or Wi-Fi connections. It doesn't require complicated setup, and both the sender and recipient have to approve a transfer, making abuse relatively unlikely. The nearby sharing feature is part of an expanded set of options that also enable sharing with mobile devices running iOS or Android. Let's talk about Cortana, which is still not available in New Zealand, which is just extraordinary to me. I mean, (laughs) I just don't know what is up with this. But uh, most of you are not in New Zealand, so let's take a look at this. In this uh, version of Windows, Cortana's Notebook, which contains preferences and personalization information, is getting a solid cleanup. The overall effect is to make it easier to specify your preferences for a wide range of interests. Cortana also connects to an increasing number of home automation services, making it possible to control those devices using voice commands from a PC. From Cortana in the start menu, you can also access reminders and lists more easily. Beginning with this version of Windows, all those features sync with the Cortana app on your iPhone or Android device. If you've set up a Windows device recently, you will know that Microsoft's pretty keen for you to log in with a Microsoft account. And there are advantages in doing that, of course, with OneDrive and other cloud-based services. But if you choose to log in locally, you'll be pleased to know that there are now a bunch of password recovery options that have been added to local accounts. They've been there in Microsoft accounts for some time. So if for some reason you forgot your password and you're locked out of your computer, if you forgot that password to a Microsoft account, there have been a bunch of ways for a while that you can possibly get back in again. Phew, the relief. Not so much in the past if you used a local account that is being addressed in this version of Windows. Coming back to Microsoft Edge, it's been around a while for uh, most other browsers, I think, but now you can mute tabs in Edge, which is a pretty good accessibility feature, I think, because it's so frustrating when you go to a website and you want to read something, but there's some weird ad or music or something playing in the background that's adding no value to you and it's hard to mute, uh, now you can mute a tab in Microsoft Edge. If you use the Microsoft Store, you will find that you can shop for a new kind of thing in the Microsoft Store as of this version of Windows, and that is fonts. It's a good thing because sometimes if you want to go searching for a new font, You do a bit of a search and you may be taken to some pretty dodgy sites. So the idea here is that eventually you'll be able to probably pay for some high quality fonts at the moment in the Microsoft Store. There's a small selection of fonts that are free that could well change as other developers add fonts to the mix. Now I'm drawing on a blog post that Jeff Petty from Microsoft put together here that uh, tells us about some of the new features that are accessibility related in the Windows 10 April 2018 update and actually beyond. But we'll try and focus on the ones that we know to be in this particular release. There is a lot going on and it's great if you have an interest in accessibility issues to follow the Microsoft Accessibility blog. It really is informative. And I will put a link to this blog post in the show notes so you can click through and read the full thing. Ease of access... And discoverability has been a big feature for this update. And the idea here is that settings are grouped together by disability, for example, vision and hearing grouped together. And the most common settings are available first. And obviously that's been determined by a lot of user interaction, I would think, in terms of how they have decided to prioritize certain settings. And quoting directly from Jeff's post, it says that customers who rely on the Rater can navigate the settings app using landmarks and headings. While heading navigation was previously limited to the web, it is now available in supported applications. In addition, the blog post continues, we added some new controls to turn off automatically hidden scroll bars in Windows on the display page and to emphasize formatted text and select the audio output channel in Narrator. And talking of Narrator, the blog post continues the Narrator team continually focuses on making a screen reader that is both easy to learn and use and powerful enough to support learning, working and playing on any Windows 10 device. So in this version of Windows, we can expect performance and reliability improvements. Narrator is now more responsive due to changes to how key presses are processed and improvements in UI automation. Narrator will read controls more consistently and accurately, such as reading embedded objects like text boxes in Microsoft Word documents. Navigation improvements. Narrator users can navigate consistently across the web and modern apps, especially with heading navigation. The blog says we also improved Narrator Focus handling, synchronizing system and Narrator Focus, so that pressing the tab key will move forward from the current item that is being read, as opposed to the current item with system focus by default. A narrator user can still decouple narrator focus and system focus by unchecking the checkbox in the narrator settings. Microsoft Edge browsing improvements. The team made it easier to understand what is happening when users open or close tabs, add favorites, and load or refresh a page. For example, narrator announces when page load begins, loading page, when page load takes longer than expected, still loading, and when page load finishes, loading complete. The team also added keyboard shortcuts to UI tooltips so that screen reader and other keyboard users can learn how to quickly invoke different features. In addition, the team continues to invest in leading the industry by providing the best support for accessibility standards like ARIA 1.1. Narrator users can emphasise text formatting like bold, italics, underline or all caps without adding verbosity, i.e. using changes in speed, pitch and or volume to emphasise changes rather than descriptions like start bold and end bold. When reading by character... Narrator includes phonetic spelling to differentiate letters like B and P. The traditional phonetic alphabet is being used. So Bravo for B and Papa for P. Narrator users can also select the audio output channel. And finally, this version of Windows will support more languages out of the box. Details on the Microsoft Accessibility blog. Now There are Braille improvements too. once installed. Braille devices are available on the login screen after powering on a device. In the system context, it's now easier to reconfigure the Brow display when switching between the Rater and other screen readers. Support for safe mode. This is a biggie. It is now possible to run the Rater in safe mode. Now, there's a bunch of other criteria here that we don't have time to go through, but I would encourage you to check out the Microsoft Accessibility blog and see just how much effort Microsoft is making in the accessibility arena at the moment. I will read this section, though, because, of course, many of us do use a third-party screen reader, and it's great to be able to walk up to any computer and know that we can get a decent screen reading experience to get something done, especially for those of us who are kind of like the 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 family tech person, and um, you go up to somebody's computer at Christmas, or maybe if you're in the United States at Thanksgiving, and you're expected to troubleshoot their computer. So if you can do that, just by hitting a keystroke and bringing up the screen reader that's built in and do it effectively, that is a good thing. But of course, for serious work, many of us will still want to use our third-party screen reader. And the blog does make the following statement. We will continue to work closely with assistive technology partners to provide customers with more choices and deliver the best experiences on Windows 10. For example, we continue to invest in UI automation, UIA, to ensure that assistive technology partners have fast and reliable access to the data they need to create delightful experiences for people with disabilities. Our partners are helping us to enable more third-party experiences on Windows 10 and expand the portfolio of assistive technology available from the Microsoft Store. And if you're interested in the philosophy behind this, I really would also recommend that you read Hit Refresh by Satya Nadella which talks about how it is possible to work in collaboration with third parties in this fashion it's a it's a good read and so that is just some of the new stuff that you will find when you eventually get the Windows 10 April 2018 update, whether that be today if you're going to jump on the bandwagon or just when you eventually find that it has turned up. Has listening to internet radio caused the broadcasting bug to start to get hold of you? For users of Freedom Scientific's Jaws for Windows, broadcasting when you're blind is easy, accessible and fun and the same software many internet broadcasters are using is also being used in many terrestrial radio stations so learn the ropes fine-tune your craft and who knows what the future might hold broadcast it is a comprehensive guide to the station playlist suite of products join brian hartgen and me jonathan mosen as we take you through a comprehensive tour that includes how the software works and lets you benefit from our extensive experience in the field. You'll be up, running, and on the air in no time with Broadcast It. And if you don't yet have the station playlist scripts for Jaws, there's a special discount if you order them at the same time. Visit the Mosin Consulting Store at mosen.org for more details about Broadcast It. I like that end bit. Let's go to the listener comments now. You can call the feedback line on 719-270-5114. That's 719-270-5114. You can also attach an audio file or you can write something down and send it to the theblindsideatmosin.org. That's the theblindsideatmosin.org. Now, a reminder, we do include this every week in the show notes, but not everybody reads the show notes. So let me remind you that we do have a community as well. This is an online discussion group. You can participate via mail or via the web, and if you want to participate via mail, then you can send a blank email to the plus at groups.io. That's the side plus subscribe at groups.io. We talk about things that come up in the podcast, but sometimes we go beyond that as well, and we have a nice little community that is going on there. At the blindside plus subscribe at groups.io. The idea is insulting, insulting that Braille is dead. This is what Marinella says. To tell my story, when I started in Braille, I was 15 when I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, and I asked one of my mobility instructors if she could teach me some Braille because I wanted to see how it feels because I was interested in it after going to my local lighthouse's transition program. And my instructor taught me the basics. I decided to take it through Hadley since I knew my vision was going to go someday and knew I had to have something to read when that happened. I did lose my vision in 2008 when I was learning uncontracted, which is grade one, and was tutored in grade two through the same lighthouse. And while in college, I noticed I was able to retain information more easily with Braille and tried to use my brailler to take notes, which my college professors were not too happy about. Yeah, I can imagine, because it is a bit noisy. <laughs> I did get my first note taker, and that was one of the best devices I've ever used, and will be upgrading shortly. When I hear that Brailler's dead, I feel like people don't understand that it has grown with the technology changes over the years. Yes, it has been around since the 1800s, but like the phone, it has had to keep up with technology. Thanks for that, Marinella. Congratulations on the foresight that you had to learn Braille when the prognosis was clear, even though you didn't have an immediate need for it. And that's right. I mean, print itself has been around for a very long time, hasn't it? But uh, like Braille, print has evolved with the times as well. And it's now on screens and all over the place. So that's right. It's wonderful that you've found that confidence in Braille.
2: Hey, Jonathan. This is Sean Blames from Michigan. I wanted to, to provide some feedback and possibly a helpful tip to anybody who is struggling with Braille. I am a proficient Braille reader and have been for a long time. And one tip that always assists me when reading Braille is I will put my hands together I read with two hands. I'll put them side by side. And in doing that, that assures that I'm reading the braille correctly. For example, if, if I, and I tend to do this, but if I put my hands apart from each other, then I find that I misread what I am wanting to read. And I find that I get the contractions and the letters mixed up. So I find that putting my hands together side by side, uh, helps out a lot. And it, it definitely, uh, has helped me out. And, uh, I'm quite fast reading.
0: Reading Braille. Thanks very much for that, Sean. And it just goes to show you see, there are various ways that you can approach the reading of Braille. That's a different technique from the one that I outlined last week, but it works for you and you've found it to be effective. So sometimes it might just be a case of experimenting and finding out what works for you as an individual as you try and speed up with Braille. And I think the more you use it, the more you will find the technique that works for you.
4: Hi, Jonathan. This is Florence from the Republic of Ireland. Regarding Braille reading, um, I use a two-handed method of reading, left hand usually as a guiding hand, or what you might call a guiding hand. It is possible to improve reading speed as you get older, or as um, you feel the need. I did that when I was at college in the 1990s, about 1994. I took a year out at the time, taking a year off. And I decided, um, I noticed that I could listen to 4 track tapes at speed. So I felt that uh, I ought to be able to read Braille as fast as that, as fast as I could listen. I could already read Braille quite fast by most people's standards. Um. Perhaps not by the standards of you know, university students, whom I was, with whom I was colleagues. So um, I set myself a task of somehow could I improve my reading speed? After a few attempts at it, uh, perhaps they were false starts, but I got into the groove one day. Actually, the night of March nineteen ninety four, I remember it quite well, reading a book. And thereafter, I had no difficulty in reading at about twice the speed at which I had been reading before. Or maybe not exactly twice, but close enough to twice. This meant that I could read one Braille page a minute, and thereabouts. One normal, single-space page of Braille, which might be 26 or 27 lines of usual 40 cells or more. 40 cells or something like that. So there, um, I did, and I've maintained the speed on braille reading with the refreshable braille displays as well, and um, I'm quite happy with that. It also helped me. I noticed that I could read the exam paper in 15 minutes before an exam. I was able to read it twice, fully through, whereas previously I had only been able to read it once. And maybe a bit left over, but to be able to read it twice and still have time meant that you had time to absorb the questions better. And of course, it also helped in classes in university where I had to flip from one page to another with other students, where we had to move from page to page, etc. So it's a great idea to consider if you wish to improve your reading speed. Not alone that, but it gives you better control over reading in public, how you, have, you can better control the modulation of um, rhythms when you're reading. I was uh, trained to read aloud, in fact, from a fairly early age. And I believe that I unlearned how to read fast to myself I learned, unlearned some of it when I was reading aloud. And I have relearned, I think, and I'm able to now control the whole thing much better. Instead of just reading a story, you are actually in the story. You are actually there or being there as it happens. Try reading a book like James Joyce's Ulysses and I think if you can read it fast, you will see what I mean if you have a good grasp of the English language
3: Hey, Jonathan. This is John McConnell in Spokane, Washington. I'm totally blind, and my wife is also We had an experience one time where we needed to get wheelchairs to go from one flight to another because the connection was very, very tight. I also think that, as far as blind people and being entitled to seats or not, I think that's up to the you know I think that should be up to the person. Uh, Yeah, if I were standing up in a bus, I would be in everyone else's way. So that's why we would rather prefer sitting in the seats. And, um, yes, if there was a person with a guide dog, there should be a designated place for them, being that my wife and I have both had guide dogs in the past. Thank you for your time and your consideration, and thank you again for the podcast. We appreciate it.
0: Thank you for taking the time to call in, John. I appreciate that. And you've raised another issue that would be really interesting to get some feedback about, and this is the whole question of blind people being offered wheelchairs at airports. I'm not saying it's exclusively a US thing, but I do find it more in the United States than anywhere else, and I have travelled around the world a fair bit. And it seems like whenever... Somebody turns up with meet and assist, there's the obligatory wheelchair in the United States. And that's fine, because I suppose there's a chance that the person who turns up doesn't know what kind of person they are assisting. Where I start to get a little bit uh, bullshy, recalcitrant, is where they tell me that I have to use the wheelchair. And of course, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, it's absolutely clear that you are not required to accept an accommodation that you feel you don't need. And where possible, I try and lighten the situation a bit. Usually I'm carrying my backpack full of mysterious technology. And I normally put the backpack on the chair and say something like, listen, I've just been on a 12-hour flight and uh, I'm happy to stretch my legs. And the backpack could sure use the wheelchair. And generally that diffuses the situation. But occasionally you do get a situation where somebody absolutely insists that you must take the wheelchair. Now, I choose not to accept that, I suppose there is an argument that says, look, just keep the peace and get in the chair, you know? Stop fussing and get in the chair. You're not going to worry about it in 10 years' time. And I do understand that. But I also think that we do have a responsibility, if we do have self-advocacy skills, to make the point so that those who don't feel as comfortable about challenging the system aren't faced with this sort of thing that makes them uncomfortable. There's no reason why somebody who happens to be blind without any other physical disability needs to be shoved in a wheelchair. And I would argue that it's actually harder to negotiate with a wheelchair, navigate. You know, it's, a, it's an object you have to steer and, and things like that. So if you do have a tight connection, I would argue that as long as you're capable with sighted guide and you're pretty quick on your feet and many blind people are, it's actually quicker to get to your gate by going sighted guide and saying to the person, all right, let's go, and moving at a quick pace than maneuvering that unwieldy wheelchair. The bottom line, though, is you are not legally required to accept an accommodation that you don't want. As a blind person who can walk just fine and who appreciates the exercise, you know, I've got an Apple Watch on my wrist. I want to complete my goals. I do not want to be shoved into a wheelchair. And I believe that is worthy of making an issue over. I will not use a wheelchair under any circumstances. I mean, if I break my leg, sure, I'll use a wheelchair. But while my legs are functioning, I'm not going to do it. And it will be interesting to hear some other thoughts on this.
5: Hi, Jonathan. This is Kelby from uh, the D.C. area calling. Just wanted to comment on the issue of whether or not it's appropriate for blind people to take Seats on public transportation. I use public transportation pretty regularly, um, and sometimes I do get offered seats. Um, I don't expect to be offered seats, um, but usually when I am offered them, it seems polite. For me to uh, say yes and thank the person. I can see the argument for at least some blind people being offered seats um, if they have a service dog. Sometimes it is easier if one can get the service dog closer to the seat or even under the seat depending on how much room there is to make sure the service dog isn't stepped on or jostled or otherwise bothered. Um, If you have a cane though um, and are otherwise able-bodied there's not necessarily a reason you should be entitled
0: to having a seat. Nice to hear from you, Kelby. Thanks for that. And Chris Cook, who started all this, we blame you, Chris. He's emailed in and he says, I just want to clarify a few points which came up on last week's Lobline Side.' On some trains, both suburban and underground in and around London, there are specialist wheelchair accessible areas which, as the name suggests, are the only place where wheelchairs can be safely accommodated. There is also a certain amount of seating in these areas, too, for other passengers with disabilities or mobility impairments. The priority seating areas of trains are in the normal passenger areas and are there for people with a wide range of conditions and disabilities to use. This is, however, dependent on any able-bodied person who may be occupying the seat, giving it up for someone who may need it more than them. The priority seating badges and cards are carried by passengers, often with hidden disabilities, to try and avoid any confrontation with able-bodied passengers occupying the seat. It does, however, give the holder slash bad wearer the right to that seat, and that's where some of the problems arise. I, as a totally blind white cane user, will often refuse a seat when offered to me, especially if I'm only going a short distance. Sometimes, though, people are merely offering to guide you to a seat, which was really vacant anyway, but this is not always clear, of course. Amit was on a packed commuter train and I think wasn't even able to grab hold of a handrail, and in this case, there may have been obvious safety concerns for him and his guide dog. One listener asked what would happen if one of the doors came open. These are all sliding door trains, and in the highly unlikely event that a door should come part open, the emergency brakes would be applied immediately. There's clearly no right or wrong answer to this dilemma, and every case is individual. But in such a busy and crowded city like London... Being able to grab hold of a handrail during a journey is the minimum that I feel comfortable with as a well-harnessed, seasoned traveller and commuter. On a totally different topic, Jonathan says Chris, I seem to remember you saying that you were a big fan of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You may or may not know that the so-called hexagonal phase has just been produced by BBC Radio 4 commemorating 40 years since the first radio broadcast. The series is in six 30-minute episodes and reunites many of the original cast from the radio series. It's based on Owen Colfer's And Another Thing, which was the next book in the so-called trilogy completed by Owen Colfer after Douglas Adams' untimely death. There is also some previous unbroadcast additional material by Douglas Adams himself, You can read more about it, and he's given the link to BBC Radio 4, and there's also a CD now available from Audible. Thank you, Chris. I did listen to the hexagonal phase of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I must confess, I wasn't expecting much. I kind of thought they should leave this alone. I didn't particularly enjoy, and another thing, I thought it meandered. I thought it really did drag on, and I didn't enjoy the book at all. I had to keep sort of waking myself up. But I was pleasantly surprised by this hexagonal phase. It was brilliant. I hope they leave it alone now, because all the loose ends have been nicely tied up. But it was good to hear slightly older Arthur Dentz and Zaphod Beeblebroxes and Ford Prefect's and the original actor. I did think that it was a shame. I don't know what the deal is with Stephen Moore, but having a different Marvin just really didn't do it for me, they they might have been better leaving Marvin out altogether, I think. But all in all, it was much, much better than I expected. So if you too are a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan, you should definitely check that out. And here to close is an email from Holger who says this I thank you for reading my email. However, I am a man. Nothing against wonderful women, he says, but I am a man. Oh my goodness, I did a gender bender on you when I read your email last week on an international podcast. And as we say on the Mosin Explosion on Mushroom FM, I shall summarily and justifiably castigate myself and see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Blind
4: Side, a production of Mosin Consulting, on the web at mosin.org.